Good morning, church. I love you and I appreciate you. Isn't it wonderful to be here with our brothers and sisters in Christ and sing praises? I was thinking back on my life. I can't, I can't remember a time where I didn't go to church, where Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, uh, gospel meetings, youth rallies, uh, uh, any sort of workshop, anytime the doors were open, we were there. And it wasn't just, it wasn't just going to church. It was it was every morning, every night, prayers, Bible studies, reading, and I was baptized when I was about nine. I probably preached my, my first uh, sermon, maybe 13 or 14 years old, but somewhere along the line, I fell away. I don't normally put it that way, but it's true. I fell away. I fell away from the Lord. I mean, I, I still went to church. I didn't have a choice in that. I still went to church and still from all outward appearances, as far as my family and church friends were concerned, I was still following Jesus, but I wasn't really. There was so much in my life that they didn't know, so much sin in which I became entangled, so many things that I did and said that were so very wrong, so entangled in a in a double life, living two different lives. And I even went into youth ministry right after high school. And even when I began full-time ministry, I was still living a double life, still entangled in sin. I was a phony, a fraud, a liar, a hypocrite. And as I recognized how wrong that was and how much I needed to change and began to try to, to change my life and stop doing some of the things that I, I was doing, I repented, but I didn't really repent towards God. I repented towards rules and law and legalism. My heart wasn't holy. My heart was hollow. And trying to minister to others in that sort of corrupted state, that hollow state, it, it crushed me. And it nearly destroyed me. But God never stopped pursuing me. He never stopped loving me. He picked me up. He put me back together. He, he cleansed me. He redeemed me. He forgave me. He loved me. He began to, to change and transform me. He's still working on me even now. And I, I tell you all of that this morning for two reasons. One, because I, I have a feeling that that story you can relate to, that that story resonates with some of you. And, and secondly, because you have a story. You have a story. If you are a follower of Jesus, if you've seen the love and the mercy and the grace of God, you have a story. And I want to encourage you to share your story with others. If God has loved you, if you've seen God's goodness, if God has saved you, if he's redeemed you, if he's working on you even now, then share your story with others. Right now we're going through this series and talking about how do we represent Christianity well? When Christianity is sort of on trial, when we're on trial in the court of public opinion for our faith, how do we represent Christianity well? And part of that is telling our story. We talked about this verse last week, and I want to think about it again. 1 Peter chapter 3, 
at verse 15, Peter says, In your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that's in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. We talked last week about the Apostle Paul and how he was doing this, how he was giving a defense, and we're going to follow his life even more and talk about how he gives a defense for the reason, for the hope that's within him when he's accused, when he's criticized, when he's hated, when he's persecuted, when he almost dies for following Jesus, how he shows gentleness and respect, how he bends over backwards to become all things to all people, but then how he also shares his story, how he defends, this is why I believe what I believe. This is why I'm doing what I'm doing. And the way Paul makes a defense over and over again is he shares his story. He tells people what God has done in him and through him and for him and in spite of him, he shares his story. But what I want us to notice as we go through today as Paul is giving a defense for the reason, for the hope that's within him and listen to his story is notice the way that Paul adapts his story depending on his audience. He adapts his story so that it relates to the people that he's talking to, so that it resonates with them, so that he shares it in a way that he can get on the same page with them, build a bridge so that they can understand why he is saying what he's saying. We talked last week in Acts chapter 21 about how there was this huge crowd who saw Paul in the temple and who attacked him. They, they grabbed him. They were beating him. They were trying to kill him. They accused him of being anti-Jewish, anti-Jewish customs, anti-law of Moses uh, against the temple. And they accused him of all of these things and they were beating him and they would have killed him except the Romans stepped in and saved Paul. Now the Romans have allowed Paul to stand up and address the crowd that moments ago were trying to kill him. Now he's addressing the crowd and making his defense. What would, what would you say to a crowd like that who hates your guts, who doesn't understand you, who doesn't like you, who is critical of you, who wants to kill you, what would you say? to a crowd like that? How would you tell your story? How would you defend, this is why I'm doing what I'm doing. This is why I believe what I believe. This is who I am. This is where I came from. That's what we see Paul doing. Acts chapter 22 and verse 1. Acts chapter 22 and verse 1. Listen to the way he addresses the crowd that was just moments ago trying to kill him. He begins with, brothers and fathers. Hear the defense that I now make before you. And when they heard that he was addressing them in the Hebrew language, they became even more quiet. Isn't that amazing? You hear the way that he's, he's telling the story, even from the very first word he says, he's beginning to relate to them saying, brothers, fathers, we're family we're family, and he's addressing them not in Greek. He's addressing them in Hebrew or Aramaic. He's speaking to them in their language. This is how we tell our story in a way that relates to people. We speak their language. We say, hey, listen, we're on the same page here. We are family. Second part of verse 2, and he said, I am, I am a Jew, born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city, brought up in Jerusalem, 
educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God as all of you are this day. You're accusing me of being anti-Jewish. You're accusing me of being against our customs or against our law. I, I am Jewish. I grew up in Jerusalem. You are my people. We're the same ethnicity. We have the same culture. We have the same background. We speak the same language. This God that I'm preaching is the God of our fathers. I grew up here. Gamaliel, the most respected rabbi, he taught me. I grew up to this strict customs of the law. I was zealous for God just, just like you are today. I mean, you hear what he's saying, don't you? He's saying, I, I get you. I understand you. I know where you're coming from. I, I know why you're angry. I know why you're upset. I know why you're afraid. I know how much you love our customs. I know how much you love our people. I know how much you love our nation. I know you're afraid of what might happen. I know because I'm one of you. I, I grew up exactly as you grew up. I, I have the same background. And he says in verse 4, I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women as the high priest and the whole council of elders can bear me witness. From them, I received letters to the brothers and I journeyed toward Damascus to take the, those also who were there and bring them in bonds to Jerusalem to be punished. I get it. You don't like Christians. I understand. I didn't like Christians either. You're afraid of Christians and what they might do. I get it. I persecuted this Christianity thing, people. I, I know exactly why you're upset. I know exactly why you're angry. I know exactly why you're afraid. I understand where you're coming from because I was doing exactly the same sorts of things. I was persecuting Christians as well. You want to kill me? Okay. I was exactly where you were and doing exactly what you're doing now. The high priest, the whole council of elders can bear me witness. I was, I was submitting to our leadership. They're the ones who sent me with orders to Damascus to extradite Christians from there back to Jerusalem to be punished. I get it. I get it. Isn't this so important when we're sharing our story with others? That we help them to understand, I get it. I get why you feel the way that you feel. I get why you're angry. I get why you're hesitant. I understand why you're resistant to this. I understand what objections you might have. Verse 6, as I was on my way and drew near to Damascus, he's retelling his story, about noon a great light from heaven suddenly shone around me and I fell to the ground and I heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. What's Paul saying? He's saying, I, I, I didn't go looking to become a Christian. I hated Christians, just like you hate me. I hated Christians. I didn't want to be a Christian. I, wasn't, I didn't go out looking for Jesus. I didn't want to be a follower of his. I was going to arrest his followers and bring them to be punished. And he interrupted my life. He interrupted my life. And I figured out that when I was persecuting the people of Jesus, I was actually persecuting the Messiah. This voice of Jesus is speaking from where? 
heaven, as if he is the son of man reigning at the right hand of God. And I was persecuting the son of man. I was persecuting the Messiah. And he interrupted my life. Now, now what's Paul doing? He's, he's being very subtle in a way, isn't he? Because he's not shaking his finger at them. He's not pounding his fist on the pulpit and saying, you're doing this. But that's implied, isn't it? He's saying, as I persecuted them, I was persecuting the Messiah. What's the implication? As you're persecuting me, you're persecuting the Messiah. He's helping them to understand, I, I was where you are. What you're doing now is what I was doing 20 years ago. And what I was doing 20 years ago was persecuting Jesus. And Jesus interrupted my life and helped me realize what I was doing that was wrong. Verse 9. Now those who were with me saw the light, but they didn't understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And I said, what shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, rise, go into Damascus, and there you'll be told all that is appointed for you to do. And since I could not see because of the brightness of that light, I was led by the hand by those who were with me and came to Damascus. And one Ananias, a devout man according to the law, well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there, came to me and standing by me said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very hour, I received my sight and saw him. He's describing Ananias, this Christian, and he's saying, these Christians aren't who you think they are. These aren't rebellious people. These aren't people that have turned their back on our God. These aren't people who have turned their back on what God wants them to do. They're doing exactly what the God of our fathers has told them to do. Ananias is a, is a Jewish brother of ours. He's a devout man according to the law. He's well spoken of by all the Jewish people in Damascus. He's one of us. He loves the same God that we love. He's devout. He's, he's striving to please the God of our fathers. And it was from Ananias that he began to see again. Verse 14. And Ananias said, The God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one and to hear a voice from his mouth. For you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. And now, why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. Again, again, he's saying, Ananias is speaking to me about the God of our fathers. He is one of us. And saying, I was guilty. I was guilty. I didn't know I was guilty. I was striving to do what you're striving to do. I was striving to, to please God. I was striving to be zealous for the law. I was striving to, to do what I was always taught to do. But I was wrong. And I was in sin. And I was persecuting the Messiah. And the Messiah interrupted my life and he stopped me dead in my tracks and he helped me to realize what I was doing was wrong and that I needed to change. And he offered me this opportunity to be forgiven. Now, again, what's Paul implying here? He's not shaking his finger at them or pounding his fist on the pulpit, but he's telling them, you're wrong. You're wrong. Just like I was wrong, you're wrong. Just like I was in sin, you're in sin. Just as I was persecuting the Messiah, you're persecuting the Messiah. He's not saying any of that explicitly, but he's implying that, isn't it? And also the, the invitation that they can have exactly what he has. Forgiveness. 
What are you waiting for? Jesus wants to, to cleanse you. Jesus wants to forgive you. Arise, be baptized, wash away your sins, calling on his name. Now, now he skips a, a couple years in the story here, but he gets to the point that the, the next time Paul comes back to Jerusalem, and he tells him, I came back to Jerusalem. He had left Jerusalem to go to Damascus and persecute Christians, and now he's come back to Jerusalem as a Christian. He was supposed to come back bringing Christians, and now he comes back as a Christian. And where does he go when he comes back to Jerusalem? Again, he's retelling the story, but he says in verse 17, when I had returned to Jerusalem and was praying where? In the temple. In the, I'm not anti-temple. When I, I became a follower of Jesus, came back to Jerusalem, went straight to the temple, and was praying. And there I fell into a trance and saw him saying to me, make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly because they will not accept your testimony about me. Again, over and over again, Paul is doing everything he can to relate to his audience, to speak their language, to say, I'm not against these things. I'm not against you. I'm not against our, our, our nationality. I'm not against our ethnicity. I'm not against our customs. I'm not against, I was in the temple and Jesus says, you're gonna have to leave. The first time Paul came back to Jerusalem, Jesus says, you have to leave because they won't listen to you. Here was Paul's response to Jesus, verse 19. And I said, Lord, they themselves know that in one synagogue after another, I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. And when the blood of Stephen, your witness, was being shed, I myself was standing by and approving and watching over the garments of those who killed him. So Paul is telling his, his audience, hey, 20 years ago, when I came back to Jerusalem, I was in the temple and I was praying, and here's what Jesus said to me. He said, people in Jerusalem won't listen to you. And Paul is saying, I argued on your behalf. I said, surely they'll listen to me. Surely they'll listen to me. They, they know me. They know that it was me who was going synagogue to synagogue. I was flushing out the Christians. I was arresting them. I was beating them. When Stephen was killed, I was standing right there approving of it. I participated in his execution. So if I come back saying Jesus really is the Messiah, they'll listen to me. So Paul says, I was arguing on your behalf, but Jesus kept telling me, they're not going to listen to you. You've got to leave. It says in verse 21, Jesus said to Paul, and he said to me, go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. Into the sermon, hasn't he? Now, now Paul has kind of gotten to the point of where he was going all along. Why is it that you believe what you believe? Why is it that you're doing what you're doing? And he said, Jesus said to me, go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. And the text says, verse 22, up to this word they listened to him. Then they raised their voices and said, away with such a fellow from the earth, for he should not be allowed to live. Whew, that's quite a response to a sermon, isn't it? He shouldn't even be allowed to live. And I was thinking about this. And Paul has gone out of his way to relate to his audience, to speak their language, to say, hey, I get it. I know why, I know why you're so upset. I know why you're so angry. I know why you're afraid. I understand your objections. I understand your hesitations. What you're doing now, I was doing a short time ago. I was who you are right now. And then, then Paul takes a turn and he says something that he has to know they're going to object to. They're not going to like this part. 
They're not going to like the part where I say, the Messiah wants me to go into the world and preach the good news to all the ethnic groups, to all the nations, to the Gentiles, to the outsiders. They're not going to like that part. So should Paul have held that part back? Should Paul have hidden that part? Say, well, they, don't, they won't like that. They won't respond well to that. Of course not. And when you're telling your story, when you're relating your story to other people, there's going to be part of it that people don't like. There's going to be part of it that people don't want to hear. There's going to be part of it that's going to upset and offend people. Don't, you don't have to hide that from them, but you also don't have to start there. You, you can start with finding common ground. Start with relating to people. Start by explaining, I understand. I understand what your hesitations might be. I understand what your objections might be. I understand where you're coming from. Here's where I come from. Let me just share with you my story and how Jesus has brought me from where I was to where I am now. I want us to think about the way that Paul explains all of this to Titus. He writes a, a letter years after even this account, and he writes a letter to Titus, and he tells Titus, when you're preaching to the churches, here's what you do. Titus chapter 3 and verse 1. He says, this is what preachers should do in all the churches. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of, this is the part we really like, right? Speak evil of who? Let me ask you again, I didn't hear everybody. Speak evil of who? No one, that's right. To avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward who? All people. Well, wait a second, hold on. Speak evil of no one? Show perfect courtesy toward all people? What about people that don't believe in God? Yes. What about people that don't like me? Yes. What about people who don't vote like me? Yes. What about people who aren't like me? Yes. What about people that hate me? Yes. Speak evil of no one and show perfect courtesy toward all people. Be gentle. Why? Why? Sometimes they're not going to respond the way that we want them to respond. Sometimes they're, they're still going to hate us. Paul preached this message, and at the end, they still wanted to kill him. So why? Why relate to people? Why show respect to people? Why be courteous to people? Here's what Paul says, verse 3. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. Why? Why speak evil of no one? Why show perfect courtesy toward all people? Because they are us. They are us. If not by the grace of God, if not for the grace of God, that's exactly where we would be. That's exactly who we would be. We understand what it is to be rebellious. We understand what it is to be sinful. So how can we speak evil of anyone? How could Paul, Paul beat Christians he separated Christian husbands from Christian wives. He put them in prison. He participated in the execution of Christians. How could Paul ever speak evil of anyone? How could Paul do anything but show perfect courtesy toward all people? How are you going to speak evil about someone when you've done that? How are you going to speak evil about someone when you've said that? The same can be said for me. Can't it be said for you? 
Who are you to speak evil of anyone after the evil you've done? Who are you to to not show courtesy to others after everything you've said, after everything you've done, after everywhere you've been, after your rebellion? And Paul says, this is why we speak evil of no one and we show courtesy to everyone, because we ourselves were in that same condition. We were dead. We were dead. And if not for God, you would still be dead. Look at verse 4. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because of, underline it, circle it, put a square around it, draw arrows to it, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Tell them that. Tell your friends that. Tell your coworkers that. Tell your family members that. Tell them who you were. Be honest about who you were. Be honest about what you did. And then tell them how good God has been to you. Tell them about God's grace towards you. Tell them about God's mercy towards you. Tell them about how God washed you, how Jesus washed you, how the Holy Spirit filled you. Tell them about what God has done for you and not for a second make it sound like you did it yourself because you're smart enough or religious enough or good enough. Tell them that God's been good to you in spite of how bad you've been. God's been gracious to us in spite of how sinful we've been. God has saved us in spite of all the things we've said and all the things we've done and all the places we've gone. He loves us anyway. And he saved us anyway. And Paul says to Titus, remind the church that. Tell them to speak evil of no one. And to show perfect courtesy toward everyone because we were in the same situation. We were rebellious. We were sinful. We did all of these things and God's mercy and grace saved us. Tell people that. Share your story with them. And today I want us to think about one word as we close. Relate. Relate. As you share your story with people, relate to them. And that English word relate has several different to sharing our story with others. One, we have to mentally relate your situation and theirs. We have to relate our own situation and theirs and think through, what are the, what are the connecting points? How is my story similar to their story? And I believe that no matter who it is, no matter what that person's background may be, it may be someone who grew up in a Hindu family, or somebody who grew up in an Islamic family, or somebody who grew up in in an unbelieving atheistic family, or somebody who grew up in, in a very different way than you grew up, I guarantee there are still ways for you to mentally relate your situation and theirs. And then, too, we also have to emotionally relate to people. We have to sympathize with people. We have to understand that they're only doing what I also did. 
They're doing what I would have been doing. If not for the grace of God, I would be in exactly the same situation. I would be doing exactly the same sorts of things. No matter what the person's situation is, we can find a way to emotionally relate to them. But then the word relate can also mean to tell someone something. We have to verbally relate our story to them. Share your story. Tell people where you've been, what you've done, and how it's done for you. And relate, fourthly, can also mean to interact with somebody, relate with them. We can emotionally, or relationally rather, relate with people, connect with them, interact with them. This is the way Paul told his story. He related to people. People need to hear your story. Always be prepared to give a defense for the reason, for the hope that is within you and do it with gentleness and respect. If God has saved you, if he's redeemed you, if he's loved you, if he's forgiven you, then tell someone else. Share your story with them. Relate to them. Maybe there's somebody here this morning and you're ready to take the next step in your journey, to take the next step in your story. Maybe you haven't been baptized into Jesus and maybe you're ready to hear the words that Ananias spoke to Paul. What are you waiting for? Arise, be baptized, wash away your sins, calling on his name. Maybe you've been living a double life and maybe you need to turn towards God and run to him for forgiveness and mercy and love. Maybe you just need to talk with and visit with and pray with people who have been where you are. Our shepherds, every Sunday after service, meet in the prayer room and they would love to board. As together we stand and sing this song.